Okay, good morning church. How are you all today? On this, I don't know, the second day of summer or something like that. And isn't it nice for the sun to come out finally? Man, I've been waiting for the sun. So I believe it's going to be a nice warm day today. Let's enjoy that. Hey, um, I'm really excited about our At The Movie series, which is coming up in January. So if you haven't been uh, to an At The Movie series yet, um, you're in for a bit of fun come this January. Um, it's a time for us to relax a little bit, have a bit of fun. Kids can dress up in movie characters if they like. And look, grown-ups too, if, you, if that's your thing. Um, but we're going to show a movie each week. Not the whole movie, but we're sh- going to show some excerpts out of it and talk a little bit about it, how we can learn from some of these things um, through each week. So it's a great opportunity for you guys to invite friends or family who don't normally come to church. It's a great sort of fun sort of thing. We do some popcorn for everyone as well. So look forward to that. It's coming the first Sunday in January. So let's get ready for that. But in the meantime, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Christmas is on our doorstep. Can you believe it already? We're in December. It's summertime and Christmas is coming. I'm so excited about that. And so for our lead up to Christmas, um, we've themed the, uh, the series, A Season of Hope, A Season of Hope. And so we're going to be looking at some of the seasons and how they can apply to our personal lives as well. Um, so my, my opening theme passage that I want us to read together comes out of the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a great book of wisdom. Um, and the authorship has been attributed to King Solomon. He says this, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. That's an incredible passage to me, and it's a great refresher. I, I don't know about you, but reading that does actually give me some degree of comfort. You know, we all go through seasons in our life, and there are various times that we go through in our life. But for me, that, that gives me comfort because if I'm going through a time of hardship or time of difficulty, I should know that it's a season, right? I'm not camped in the season of pain for the rest of my life. There's going to be a season that I go through, and I'm going to get out the other side. It's going to be okay. I'm going to get through this. And likewise, if I'm in a time of great joy and and happiness, it's a wonderful time to experience and maybe not assume that I'm going to be in this season of delight every single day of my life. There's going to be times of heartache and pain in my life. And so I should really get the most out of this time of joy. I shouldn't just assume that it's going to be forever. And so what's the takeaway, I guess, before we move on to the first season that we're going to look at today, the takeaway I want you to to get from this is we're all going through seasons and we should embrace our season. Are you willing to embrace your season head on? Sure, we we can all embrace 
our good times. We love embracing that. That's kind of easy, right? But embracing a hard time is a challenge and it's difficult. And it's easy for us to kind of want to push it aside and assume that it's, it's just an annoyance in my life right now. But perhaps God's in, in charge of my life. He's actually working in my life. He's more involved in the details of our life than I think that we give him credit for. And so if, you're out, if we are willing to embrace the season that we're in for good or for bad, work through it, allow it to do a good work in your heart, it'll prepare you for the next season that you have in your life. And I honestly believe that, yes, we go through seasons, but we can potentially have a part to play in our season. We can delay our time of harvest. We can delay the next season because... We've decided that we don't want to deal with the season that we're in right now. We can kind of attempt to push it to one side, but God has us in a season of maybe a trial, a time of pruning in our life. It's for a reason. So embrace it and allow those things to have a work in your life, and you won't delay the season that God has for you next. In the same way, I believe that you can actually enhance your season. It can be a better time of harvest. It can be a better time of celebration if you understand that you're in a season, if you understand what God is saying to you in that time, and it can be a great benefit and joy to you. So embrace your season. Now, um, today, it's my job to talk about the first season. Obviously, we're talking about the four seasons of the year. And appropriately, I'm going to be talking about summer, which is awesome. I love summer. It's probably one of my favorites. I do love winter too, funnily enough, but Christy, my wife, is hands down. She's a summer girl. Favorite color is yellow. It's like summer all the way. She hates winter. And for us, when we think about summer, our family, we've, we've developed a tra- tradition every, pretty much every January, we go on a holiday to Rottnest Island. I don't know if you guys have done that before, but we love it. Some people hate it. Some people are like, yeah, that's disgusting, that place is... It's crawling with these little rats, the marsupial rats. Um, but we love Rottnest Island. There's something really special for us about Rottnest. And you go to Rottnest Island and it's like time stands still. Everything changes. You go from being in a, in a, in a rush to, to get there. In fact, you know on the ferry, you've got to catch a ferry to get to Rottnest. Everyone lining up on the ferry. They're all pushing their bikes. Everyone wants to get first in line and everyone's in a rush to get on that ferry and to get, and they, they've got their proper clothes on, you know. But the people coming off the ferry is a completely different species. They get off the ferry and they've got sun cream, sunburn on their shoulders. They don't care what they're wearing. There's no makeup. Their hair's kind of sticking out in all different directions. They're wearing thongs. It's the best kind of shoe that you wear getting off the boat. Maybe there's, there's bare feet. I mean, no one really cares because they've had such a great time of relaxation of joy and freedom. You know, when you're over at Rottnest, and especially if you can get to stay the night a few nights, it's everyone's just cruisy. Everyone's just walking at a slow pace like this, cruising along. You actually say hi to strangers at Rottnest. You wave to one another. You smile generously. You look out for one another's kids. Like, it's such a time of relaxation. You know, when I wake up in the morning at Rottnest, I kind of rub the the salt out of my eyes. I look at the horizon and the beautiful ocean. And I put, you know, lick my thumb, stick it up in the air. Which way is the wind blowing? And that's really my biggest decision of the day is which beach are we going to go to? Depending on where, which is the quietest and most secluded beach, that's where we're headed. That's our biggest job for the day, to find a beach to camp at and just enjoy the summer. 
Anyone with me? Can you guys relate to summer? Oh, man, I love it. Summer's a time where we can relax. We can just kind of let it all hang out a little bit. Not too much. But we can just relax. It's a time of, you know, uh, in the seasons, the, the time of summer is usually a time of harvest. It's usually a time where we get to enjoy the fruits of our labor. So to, as a little bit of a study, I wanted us to look at King Solomon. King Solomon was credited perhaps as, as the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, he's an incredible character. King Solomon was the son of King David. So King David established an, an amazing rule, a united rule over the, the tribes of Israel. And he was the one king over Israel and he expanded the borders of that nation in such an extraordinary way. He fought battle after battle after battle. And he passed on the kingdom to his son, Solomon. Now Solomon, you could say, you know, when, when scholars look back at the reigns of various kings of Israel, Solomon's reign is the golden years. He was the richest king that, that Israel had. He had all the money. He had everything. There were no wars. He reigned over Israel for 40 years, and there were no wars. He just had it made in the shade. He had a very peaceful reign. And yet, for all that wisdom that Solomon was attributed to have, for all that freedom, for all that wealth, you know, it said that he, he was able to take in or bring in 25 tons of gold every single year from tributes from other nations. 25 tons of gold. He was a very wealthy king. He had all that money, all that peace, no wars, all that summer. And yet Solomon managed to stray from the heart of God. He strayed from the course that God had for him. He started out with great humility. You know, there's an encounter that Solomon had with God. And he said to God, look, I'm going to need your help. I know nothing. I'm a young man. I know nothing. I need your help. God, speak to me. And he prayed and he asked God for one thing. I said, God, he said, God, give me wisdom that I may reign and rule these people well. And God blessed him. And he said, well, if you follow me, I'm going to give you wisdom like you asked for. I'm going to give you great riches as well. And he started out with such promise. He started out on the right track. This is what God said to him in 1 Kings 9 verse 4. He said, As for you, if you will follow me with integrity and godliness, as David your father did, obeying all my commands, decrees, and regulations, then I will establish the throne of your dynasty over Israel forever. What an incredible promise that he gave. And yet he strayed in his heart away from what God actually spoke to him directly. And it says of Solomon, and I can't believe this is true, but he had 700 royal wives. It's hard enough having one. Let alone having 700 and doing that well. And then he had another 300 concubines. Don't ask me what a concubine is, but he had 300 of them as well. He was doing all the things that God said for him not to do. He says that he amassed troops and chariots and horses, which God said, don't do that. He took great um, taxes from the people, which again, God said, don't do that. In 1 Kings 11:2, the Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them, he's talking about other wives from other nations, because they will turn your hearts to other gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He had 700 wives of royal birth, 
300 concubines. And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. And this way Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had. And it says in 1 Kings 11.9 that the Lord was very angry with Solomon for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshipping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. So what can we learn about Solomon's reign? What example did he bring his life that we can learn from about how do we handle the time of summer, our season of summer? When we're in that season of summer, how can we behave in a way that's going to keep us on the right track? The first thing that we can learn about Solomon was that he actually became lazy. He became lazy. His season of summer became a season of compromise. You know, things were going so well for him. He was just like winning at everything he did, no matter what he did. Have you ever been in that situation before? You think you're going to make a big mess of it, and yet somehow increase comes. Somehow you're just blessed anyway. And so he started to believe that, well, it didn't really matter. It doesn't really matter what I do. I can do whatever I like, and things are going to be good for me. And so he started to let weirdness creep in. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know when you're doing so well, you start to let weirdness creep in? Weird thinking, weird ideas, stupid stuff. And that's exactly what started to happen to Solomon. I don't know about you, but it definitely happens in my life. You know, if, if things are just going so great, I, I, get, I let it hang out a little bit too much. And I start believing silly things. I've got no one really to, to keep me on the straight and narrow. In fact, I'd probably say that it requires a little bit more spiritual discipline to do the season of summer well than it does when you're going through a hard time. When you're going through a hard time, things are tough, you reach out to God, God, help me, please, I'll do anything. When things are going great, you don't have that same urge, same desire, and I, re- I think it requires actually a little bit more effort. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says this, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. There is nothing better for me to keep me on the straight and narrow than be surrounded by other people who are heading in the same direction as me. If I'm part of community, that's a really healthy place for me to be in. So I've got people around me who can tell me when I'm getting weird, who can tell me when I'm, I'm doing stupid stuff. If I'm surrounded by a community of people who love me and are heading in the same direction as me, I know it's like a safety net. It's going to be good for me. It's going to be good for you. And that's why we make such a big effort about our small groups. Because we know being part of community is important. Being surrounded by other people going through life just like you. And you might think to yourself, well, you know, things are going great. I don't really need community right now. I've felt like that before. Why should I bother? Ah, it's such a drag and all this extra effort I have to make. But if you are willing to put that effort in when things are good, when another season 
rolls around and you are in a season of pain or you are in a season of struggle or difficulty, you've got people around about you that are going to lift you up by your bootstraps and help you move forward. If you decide that I'm just going to be fine on my own because I don't need anybody right now, when you do get to that season of pain or difficulty or challenge, who have you got around you? You've isolated yourself. So I would encourage you guys to be part of a small group. Now our small group term is coming to an end. But maybe consider as one of your New Year's resolutions for, for next year as the terms begin to find yourself part of a small group of people, like-minded people that you can do life with, that are going to help you out in your season of pain, but, no, but also are going to sharpen you in your good times too. A little bit of sharpening, a little bit of iron, sharpening iron. It's actually a good thing in your life. As much as sometimes we go, ah, that annoys me, that person annoys me, but they could be annoying you in a good way, you know what I'm saying? They could be actually sharpening you up. Just the same way that we go when things are good, ah, oh, don't bother about church anymore, I don't need church, you know, I don't need to be at, be at church, it's just a drag, you know, getting the kids in the car and all that stuff, it's annoying, but there will be a time where you need it. And if you're going great, it's a time for you to be an encouragement to other people. So you're getting that? So the other thing that we can learn about Solomon was that he actually became proud. He allowed pride to rise up in his heart. And that's the other danger that we face when we're in a season of produce, when we're in a season of harvest, when things are going wonderfully well in our lives, we can allow pride to creep in. Because Solomon had people coming to him from all over the world, bowing and scraping him and telling him how wonderful he was and how wise he was and how awesome he was. And he actually had this wonderful gift of wisdom that was in high demand all around the world. So people would come and ask advice. So what, what happened to Solomon as the years went by is he allowed pride to creep into his heart. In that time of there's no boundaries, everything's going well. Well, maybe I am all that. Maybe I am so awesome. Maybe I am what everyone's saying that I am. And he starts to drink the Kool-Aid. He starts to believe all the stuff that people are saying about him. You know, when he was, when he was much younger, he was so humble in his heart. And yet as time went by, he started to believe the wrong thing about his life. A wrong thing. God actually blessed him with this incredible gift to be a blessing to other people and yet he allowed it to come to his head, to get to his head and he started believing that it was all about him. So how can we develop a lifestyle that, that guards against pride rising up in our hearts? And I believe one of the key things that we can do to guard against pride is just to develop an, what I'd call an attitude of gratitude. If you can understand, actually, there's someone greater than me who looks after me, who blesses me, who brings this increase into my life. It's not just me doing it all and being the, the master of my own destiny. I actually have somebody above me who loves me and who's blessing me. You know, God established something incredible in the Old Testament. It was called the Festival of the First Fruits. And, and what it meant was, that every time you have a harvest, every time you yield your mandarins or apples or avocados or, or wheat crop or you shear a sheep, the first bit, the first batch that comes in, God says, that's holy. I want you to give that back to me as a way of acknowledging that there's someone looking after you. 
There's a God in your life who loves you, who's blessing you, who's bringing this first fruit increase into your life. And Deuteronomy 18 verse 4, he says this, You shall give him the first fruits of your grain, your new wine and your oil, and the first shearing of your sheep. There's nothing more grounding than understanding that there is a God above who loves you and is bringing increase and, and prosperity to your life. Otherwise, what happens? You become proud. What happens to pride? It isolates itself. You start to believe that you are the master of your own destiny. This increase, this wealth that you have is through your own hard efforts. And so you don't need anybody else. Jesus said it this way in John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a really powerful thing for us to understand. That we are part of a vine. We can't just be a branch on our own. We'll wither and die. What better way for us to acknowledge that we are part of something bigger than us than to establish that attitude of gratitude in our life, to acknowledge that God is part of your fruitfulness. He's part of your increase. He's the one who's establishing and, and bringing the increase to your life. You know, if you want a bumper crop of harvest in your life, if you want to see increase after increase after increase, then, then learn this habit of giving the first fruits back to God. It's such a simple thing to do and it will really ground you. Start giving a percentage of what you make back to God. In the Old Testament, they called it a tithe. It represented 10%. 10% of what they brought in, they, they gave back to God. And it helped to give them, keep them grounded. Because no longer were they just like doing my own thing. They had somebody that they knew was greater than them who was blessing them, who was bringing the increase in their lives. You know, I believe that Christians who refuse to tithe, who refuse to give some kind of percentage back to God, they're like people who say, wow, Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for all that you did for me. Thank you that my sins are washed clean. Thank you that I will get to heaven one day, and that's just going to be incredible. But for the here and now, the increase that I have in my life, that's mine. Because I did it. It's my hard work. It's my hard labor. And it all belongs to me. Can you see how that, that's a messed up way of thinking? I want to encourage you guys. Establish an attitude of gratitude in your life. And you'll ward off that pride that can creep into your heart when things are going really great. If we read on that John 15 passage, Jesus said, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourself to be my disciples. God wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to bring, have increase in your life. But the fruitfulness is not just for you. It's not just for your blessing and for your increase. It's so that you can be generous to other people, so you can share that blessing and that increase and all that, the richness that you have with the people around about you. How awesome is that? It's to your Father's glory that you bear much fruit. He wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to be blessed so that you can be a blessing. Now we're, um, like, like we've talked about in this season of hope right now, 
And every week we've, we're doing something a little bit different. And, and one of the things that we're going to be doing, what well, we've done this week, is we've handed to every family this candle. It's got a, a lovely sprig of rosemary on it, and it's got a Bible verse which says that you are the light of the world. I'll read it to you now really quickly, the full verse. It's from Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. God has given to us a great amount of fruitfulness and light and joy and peace, and He wants us to not hide our light, not keep it away for ourselves. He wants us to be able to share that light. Share that freedom and share that joy with other people. So this is the first step. And I want to encourage you that when you sit down for your meal, your family meal, or if you're on your own, light it at mealtime every night. And I want you to pray for those people that are on your heart, that are around about you, that need to know Jesus that need that freedom in their life, that need that joy in their life, and begin to intercede for them, begin to pray for them, begin to, begin to believe for good things for their life. Maybe a turnaround. Maybe a breakthrough. Could you do that with us? And every, every night, it's going to be powerful. Start believing for a breakthrough for those people. And we can do that together as a family. I think it's going to be a really powerful thing.